welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davis. In this episode, we speak to Alana Jackman, fundraising coach and consultant, about whether charities should even exist. We also talk about how fundraisers, particularly, can address this question with supporters and colleagues, and how they can develop relationships with colleagues to assist them in their fundraising in the most effective ways possible. There's a whole load of good things, good learnings here and takeaways too in what Alana had to say. So without further ado, here's my interview with Alana Jackman. I'm here with Alana Jackman, fundraiser, coach and consultant. Alana, welcome to Charity Chat. Thank you for having me. So today we're talking about the topic of people, and I've had this myself, people have approached me and I've, I've met actually uh, with a, a good friend of mine and I met her husband for the first time and he said to me this very thing, I don't believe charities should exist. And I was a bit taken aback by that. Yeah, of course. Um, why, why, why is the case for charities existing? Well, I mean, that's an enormous question, isn't it? Um, I think that, you know, and I had this recently, I was doing a piece of training, and at the start of training, I would always ask, what um, objections do people have to fundraising, or yeah. how do people feel about it? I don't, don't put it quite like that. How do, how do people feel about fundraising? Sure. And I just like to get everyone's preconceptions and everyone's negative feelings out there so that they can be handled and so I get the sense of the room. And I got um, somebody put their hand up and said, word for word, I don't believe in charities. I think that the government should be paying for all of this mm-hmm. and that we, the charity sector, are letting them off the hook. So because charities are there, the government isn't right. funding things that should be funding. Yeah. So if we shut up shop, then there would be thousands of elderly people, you know, without any support. There would be, um, there wouldn't be the food banks. There wouldn't. There would be so many resources that weren't there. That sure. The government relies on nice people delivering. Um, it's a very interesting perspective, isn't it? It is a very interesting perspective. I think that, you know, as a fundraiser, there's. You know, there's kind of looking at the structural inequalities in society, and then there's how you answer that as a fundraiser. Um, and as a fundraiser, actually, in what I said to her is, then we both absolutely agree on one thing, which is that the public should be giving more money to help the most vulnerable in our society. Because whether the government pay for it by raising taxes, which obviously is the only way the government could pay for it, yeah. or um, we, or charities make it possible by going out and asking people for donations. We're still going to the same pockets, the same people to ask them to give money. And with charities, you're giving them a choice whether to do it, and then if they do it, what to support. So they get to direct it. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, I have to say, we are where we are. Austerity is, you know, is uh, very much established. Yeah. We believe that people in society should help the most vulnerable. That's what fundraising is our only way to make that happen at the moment. But yes, it gets you into a conversation that um, isn't the expertise of the fundraiser, and it's a political conversation. Did, did you ever feel that that question was born out of the person's perception that? Um, they were being asked too much to give to charity or that there was any sense of uh, 
begrudgement of, of kind of being asked by charities to to respond to their requests or anything. Yeah, so I think people definitely do get fatigued, don't they? Um, and there's all these urgent things happening and, and why does it fall on me to sort it out? Sure, um, I pay my taxes, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's all these rich people who are tax evading, you know, yeah, yeah. So, or avoiding. Yeah. So I think there's lots of, of that, but um, I, I think for them, you know, you never quite know what people's motivation is for raising objections. And I talk about this with lots of people who I coach, that often people need to find a reason. So the person who said that to you, yeah. well, if I'm not going to give to charity, then I need to, I need to come up with a reason, mm. either about charities, yeah. that they, they don't invest the money properly, or sure. they are they a big black hole, or, too much yeah, money, yeah. All these so things. I need to come up with an objection that, yeah. is, that makes me feel better. Sure. I need... I don't. I can't have the dissonance, and I can't have the guilt. Mm. So either it's going to be about charities, or it's going to be about your cause. Sure. And um, and then that, as a fundraiser, the way you receive that is that you will always hear the same objection. Yeah. Because when I worked at the MSPCC, people would say the government should be paying for this, mm. and then you would think, you know, if only I worked at a cat, cats and dogs charity because no one believes the government should be paying for that so then people sure. wouldn't raise that objection sure sure um, and how, how important is it the charities listen to that and then potentially adapt so for example in an organisation where somebody's saying to a member of the fundraising team you know well the government should be paying for that if that fundraising team member is then able to say well actually part of the fundraising goes to forwarding our campaigns team who are actually trying to get the government to be more on board and that kind of works too, doesn't it? Then that's a kind of a, a reason for the fundraising team to be able to justify the fact they're raising money. Yeah. They're also appealing to the government they're to leveraging make change. Exactly, yeah. like shelter, for example, or, yeah. or dozens yeah. of others. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that I don't think a charity can react to people's objections because you know, what my feeling is that people's objections are partially to make them feel better about not giving to a certain cause because you can't sure. give to everything. Sure. So you need to come up with a reason. Yeah. But um, absolutely, if if you are um, doing work to get you know you're demonstrating a successful best practice model yeah. in order for the government to then take that on and put that um, across the country then fantastic yeah. um, that's worth saying at the NSPCC certainly we would say we want to be independent we want to lo lobby government and we want to fight for change yeah. and we don't want to bite the hand that feeds us of course sure we're not going to just deliver service level agreements mm. and let the government dictate you know how how our activity is done we think we've got a better focus and a better and and you know on on this particular issue yeah, yeah. so there's a there's an argument about independence there are lots of ways to come back but I don't think that's where the, you should take the conversation as a fundraiser. Sure, sure. I, I think the way to have that conversation, if it's with a prospective donor, um, is to agree with them. Mm. I absolutely agree with you that the government should be paying for this work. They aren't. Why do you... What, what do we agree is important about the work that that is being done let's let's not ha let's take that conversation off the table about who should be funding it yeah what's important to you about the work that that 
my, my charity does. Yeah. Um, what of the work that you've heard about, or that you know about, are you most passionate about, do you think is the most vital area? Um, you know, do you want to lobby government to do more of this? Is, do you want to fund some work in that? Do you want to fund a piece of research that embarrasses them into doing so? You know, what, what are you passionate about? Let's not talk about where the funding comes from, let's talk about sure, the work. Sure. So I would sidestep it. That's a really interesting point. I suppose in doing that, you're then empowering the persons talking to you to continue talking, but in a maybe a more productive way with you, and that you're on the same side of the line. Yeah. We agree. Wouldn't it be amazing if the government supported all this yeah. work? I don't, you don't disagree with that. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not thinking. Wouldn't that be awful? Because how would I get paid? You know, <laughs> like, Presumably, we would all be hired by the government department that's running it. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know. It's not a problem that we're worried that you know is going to come up anytime soon. Yeah. So we we're all in agreement, and the same with your colleagues. You know, we believe the point is that we believe in this work. The question is, how are you and I going to work together to get it funded? But I find that lots of fundraisers I work with are really struggling with yeah. is internal hurdles. Okay. That they're finding it hard to collect information about projects, mm -hmm. to you know, all the details about the cost or plans for future projects or um, access to go on visits or to meet beneficiaries sure. or you know that, that those are the problems that they're having being able to actually use the the work that the charity does to inspire the people who could give and so they're coming they're bumping up against these issues all the time and so actually it's the internal colleagues thing that i think is more of a hurdle for most fundraisers yeah and so there are several ways that i that I think the fundraiser on the ground can approach colleagues. And so, firstly, you've got to make it easy for them. Make it as straightforward as possible. You do the legwork. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, whatever you can to make it easy, do that. And I, I've, I, I think that's, that's a, like a hit the nail on the head for me, because I've worked in teams where for example, we've had trust fundraisers who are some the best trust fundraisers I've worked with are the ones that have gone around almost like an investigator, going up and proactively finding the details and maybe then running those past the right people rather than asking them, you know, can you provide me with all this stuff? Absolutely. This is a mistake that we make so often and it's a really classic mistake. Email somebody with a whole set of questions yeah. and then, oh, they haven't got back to me. Um, and how would you receive that email? Yeah. Phone them. Phone them and say, when can I grab you for 20 minutes? Mm. If I want anything from anybody, so I was recently doing a piece of work where I was getting case studies. Right. And so I was helping a charity to put together a, a proposition um, and we needed case studies. I didn't ask people the people who put me in contact with the case with the prospective case study said just email them some questions and I said you know I think it's much kinder and easier to them if I 
just phone them for 20 minutes. Would that be okay? Can you ask them if they're willing to sure. give their phone number? They all gave their telephone number. I spent 20 minutes on the phone. They did it verbally, which is so much easier than doing it, you know, sort of having to sit down and type it out, which feels like a piece of work. Yeah. Um, I could adjust what I was saying, ask a little bit more about things, get a bit more of the story, ask them if they're comfortable with it, sure. you know, build a bit of a rapport offer to email it to them for them to approve. So it's whole time you're, you're typing up what they're saying, but you're, you're, you're already drafting exactly. the, the content. Exactly, because I need it how I need it. Sure. And I know how I want to tell their story. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't want to have to go back to them. I don't want, you know, what person who's volunteering their time yeah. wants to get into some sort of email to and fro. And how many emails people, I, I, I heard somewhere on average we're getting 200 emails a day, which right. is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So to have another one, especially one that's asking so much of somebody. It really is. You know, I know, I, I, you know, whatever you're asking someone to do as a fundraiser, you're almost always asking them to do something that isn't actually their job. Sure. So you're asking for a favour. Yeah. And we as fundraisers ask for favours from pretty much everyone we're in contact with. Yeah. Everyone internal and everyone external. Right make it easy and what's the easy how would you like to be asked to do this yeah, yeah. so that's that's the first thing and I think um, you'd make your life a lot simpler if you just pop by somebody's desk or give them a call you've got all these fundraising skills that you use externally um, soliciting you, and nurturing relationships. Use them internally. So think about how this could be worthwhile to that colleague, um, to them personally, and to the cause that they are commit. You know that they commit their professional life to. Okay. So what kind of thing? How would that look? What, what kind of thing would that would that involve? There's obvious things like if I want to do something slightly more with my project. Yeah and you're holding out an opportunity for me to have a 70-30 split with this gift that we're working on where it's 70% existing but it's 30% new. Okay. That's, a benefit. That's an obvious benefit. Sure. There's also my profile and my professional development. So maybe I get to speak at an event and I haven't done that before. Um, I get a bit of profile in the organisation or um, some people hate that. So, <laughs> you know, um, uh, I get to, you know, let's say... Um, I want to showcase what I'm doing, or I want to get more attention for the for the my beneficiaries. Yeah. You know, there's if you're going to bring some very influential person, major donor prospect to my to see my project, that's a boost for me and my work. And if I get a bit more profile within the organisation, maybe you're going to bring the the chief exec is going to bring your high profile prospect. Sure. So then I get to highlight you know, how shabby my project's looking at the moment. Or, you know, there's all sorts of benefits I might get from my staff to, you know, to be appreciated. So some of this kind of, I suppose it all sounds like standard stuff, but I've seen so often that this kind of thing doesn't seem to be happening. And whether that's because people are very focused on their own workload or, you know, I was talking with uh, Giles Pegram yeah. a little while ago, and we were talking about this very thing, which is like any relationship outside of work you would expect to be giving as much as you're getting, otherwise the relationship seems yeah, to kind absolutely. of you know, yeah. go quiet. Yeah. And similarly with work as well, you're, it's kind of a give and take situation. Yeah, I, I think it's really frustrating for fundraisers because um, you need 
because as I said, because you're always asking for favours from everybody, you know, you're kind of walking on eggshells with could you possibly, might you just, you know, and all of that sort of apologetic kind of approaching sure. to people. Yeah. Um, so the other thing is, you know, inspiring the people you work with about the opportunity. So a lot of people see money as dirty, not to be discussed. Right. Especially people, in my experience, who come through the mission side of an organisation. Okay. Because it's never been their role to think about money. Right. Um, and they don't like it, and they don't want people to be monetized. So, you know, it, they think it's debasing to talk about, you know, the cost the government will give £3.50 to each child to, you know, get a school meal and have some after school care or whatever it is they, right. they think that's a bit disgusting sure. that to monetize these people yeah. you know um, and so there's there's an ideological barrier and then there's all these very rich people who aren't giving money and so a lot of them just feel that money shouldn't be the determining factor and they don't really want to talk about it do you think that's different for fundraisers then do you think because i suppose in some ways i as a fundraiser myself, I'm, I'm often thinking, you know, about income and the income targets, and I suppose I'm driven to a large extent. I suppose I'm, I see myself as a kind of a salesman, really, well, in, in that's the same what you way. Are. Yeah, and, you're uh, selling, making a change, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But, but increasingly, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that it's, it's not the short-term transactional relationship that I'm looking for, it's the longer term. And so then there's a kind of a little bit of a grey area around, you know, it's not necessarily every conversation is about money with the people I'm talking to, it's sometimes about the building the relationship. Yeah, I think that's a challenge for fundraisers, isn't it? To When is nurturing the important thing? When is, yeah. um, you know, your target the important thing and, and how you... Yeah, how you square the two. Yeah. Um, well, fundraisers shouldn't be afraid of talking about money that you would hope. Um, a lot of a lot of um, colleagues really find it very uncomfortable. Sure. Um, and what I find, so when I do training for an SMT or a trustee, a board of trustees, I find that the pivotal moment for them is is realizing that you're not hand, you're not cap in hand, begging. Sure. Please pay my salary. Please help us. You know, not go under. Yeah. Um, you're giving people an opportunity to be involved in something, to make a change that they want to make in the world. Um, and you know, I think all fundraisers know that, but a lot of other, a lot of people in your organisation haven't really seen it that way. They just see it as a necessary evil. So do you think, is it, is it the role of fundraisers to, or fundraising directors, heads of fundraising, to really uh, work with colleagues and other teams to try and convey that message that, on the one hand, you know, that kind of money matters and, and that that's something that, to an extent, all staff should be thinking about. Yep. But also, on the other hand, that um, there's no embarrassment in exploring the contacts and the networks that everybody has in an organisation, regardless of what they're fundraising, because we're, we're facilitating the gift. We're not, asking, we're not begging people for money at the time. Yeah, you're enabling people to make a difference that they want to see in the world. Um, by getting involved in what you're doing sure. and, um, and that's a powerful opportunity.
the people who you're working with and the organisation, they deeply believe in what they're doing. Mm. And don't they want to show off about that? Don't they want to Absolutely. shout about that? Don't, don't they want to convert people to realise that what they're doing is important? You know, a lot of people won't know what your charity does. And they won't realise that actually, you know, it's transformational. They have never thought about it. So you get to show them what you do. You get to bring them in as an advocate. If they're a major donor prospect, they probably have networks of people who ha have some influence. Um, and they can bring that to the organisation um, and shine a light on your work. Yeah. And so that's the opportunity. Uh, and then, you know, there's the, the funding to ensure that the work continues. Yeah. But you talk about what directors of fundraising should be doing. And I do think that you can't just rely on um, the foot soldiers of fundraising to, to convert staff members to be open to fundraising. It's not, it's not actually fair, and that's not how the most successful charities are effective. The most successful charities that I work with are charities that have a whole of organisation approach to fundraising where the volunteer department will highlight volunteers who have capacity and propensity to become donors where the CEO is really you know is very very happy to come on to, to meet prospects yeah. and where anyone who works in a project understands that it's part of their role mm. to welcome people to show them what they do and to and to um, speak about it in um, motivating terms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so directors of fundraising and SMT, I think what I always advise people to do is to put it into job descriptions across the organisation, to put it into interviews yeah. across the organisation and to put it into appraisals. And that, that the, the thing to put in is that everybody employed by the charity volunteers as well, are, are there as an advocate of, of the, the cause or something yeah, like this? But X, you know, this organisation is X percent funded by voluntary donations. As a member of the staff team, you will be expected to participate in fundraising activity sure. to enable the charity to succeed. And that's not confined to going along to an event once no, a year. No, it's, it's, it's integral. Yeah, it's yeah. integral to you know if you believe in this cause and you want to come and work for it and, yeah. and help our beneficiaries, then everyone in the organisation needs to play a role in. Um, enlightening people about what we do and encouraging them to be part of, of what we do. And does that extend to the trustees, do you think? Do you oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, it starts with the trustees. Right. Um, you know, there's a... Some, some charities don't want to ask more from their volunteers. Um, they want to hive off fundraising. Fundraising is for fundraisers to do. And actually that just isn't, that's to misunderstand fundraising, isn't it? I'm sure you'll agree. I do. And it I, can't work in isolation. And it, it, it's, it kind of hints at a slightly, um, in my view, it hints at a slightly uh, worrying culture where, as you've kind of talked about, you know, and in my own terms, I suppose fundraising becoming a dirty word and kind yeah. of the, dirt, the, the dirty work that needs to be done, as opposed to something that's actually not only um, 
vital, but uh, but also completely okay and positive and you know a case of I mean it makes sense on a numbers level as well. You know if you've got an organisation of five people and one of them is the fundraiser, you've got one person out there banging the drum with a limited um, ability to get to a certain number of people yeah. and five as five times the amount of contacts um, and possibility to, to extend the, the network of people supporting them. So it makes absolute sense. I think. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy for for trustees to not think it's their role because if you believe in this cause then all of us need to use all the resources that we have to bring people to this cause um, and again that's not begging that's offering people an opportunity to make a difference are people's objections to fundraising legitimate in terms of you know there's obviously been a lot in the papers and the media especially you know going 2015 was a, a heavy year for yeah. fundraising yeah. negative press wise and there's sort of been a lot of things in there, and I, I've personally seen some of these behaviours of fundraising. So there seems to be a kind of legitimacy to some of the criticism of fundraising. Is that fair? Um, listen, of course, there's poor practice. There's always going to be poor practice in in every um, industry, and it's obviously shocking and tragic for it to be in the fundraising sector because it's it's affected us all. Um, and what do you have but trust? But um, you know, in terms of colleagues being having objections to fundraising, I think some of their objections are absolutely legitimate. The success rate of a, a warm major donor prospect yeah. is 25 percent. Wow! So that's a 75 percent fail rate. Yeah. So you ask for their help on something, and 75% of the time they're not going to see anything from it sure. in terms of cash. Now they may see some of those other um, advantages and opportunities that we talked about, about gaining profile internally, gaining profile externally for the work that they're doing, um, and indeed getting new experiences, and you know. But yeah, the time wasting, you know, is is a genuine objection. And major major donors, that stat is actually quite high when compared against things like direct mail campaigns. Where I've certainly right, wrote to colleagues in the past to help me write a direct mail campaign, and it's maybe two percent. Two percent of success, if, if, isn't if it? Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that can be quite that frustrating. Absolutely. But you see, firstly, you know, a direct mail campaign is also an information campaign. It's talking sure. about what you're doing. It's getting more people to. Um, understand the work to participate to you know phone the helpline or report things or uh, you know recommend it to a, a, a relative yeah. you know, where that problem comes up you know there's lots of kind of public information yeah, sure. and public awareness that, that you get out of that so actually I think colleagues understand that okay. but it's spending a lot of time on one person who mm. then doesn't give that I think people really object to right. and also because they had so much money and you put a name to that face and and then they they didn't do it they didn't yeah. come through and it's so high stakes yeah, I gave up a day and a half because it was potentially a million pounds and now it's zero pounds without getting into uh spinning things to colleagues yeah. because it might not be true but there is there is there always the hope that you've spoken to somebody they've said they said no that day and that's frustrating that day but then there's i mean maybe i'm an optimist but i take away the hope that maybe they'll think, consider putting us in their will or we'll be able to have a conversation in the yeah. year's time is that the kind of is that fair to then talk to your colleagues about 
that in those terms? Yeah, yeah that's music, yeah, I think, isn't it? I think the, the wider story, you know, you definitely have to talk about it as a wider story. Um, and also, once you've worked up that proposition with them, you're then going to take it to lots of other places as well. So I sure. had that experience recently with um, an organisation that I work with where we worked up a proposition for um, a fantastic um, set of activity and the donors weren't as keen as we thought they were and, you know, and that's it's dragging on a bit. We're not sure what the funding will look like or how long that's going to take. Sure. But... Um, a trust came up that do work squarely in that area and we had the proposition ready to go so a portion of that proposal is now being sent to a trust so you do you, you can demonstrate how you use it and how you and keep working with other people to fund that sure. um, but you know I think it comes back to make it easy the objections is going to be it's not my job right. you're asking me to do something on top of everything else I have to do when I take time to do this it means that my work isn't getting done and if we could get if if it could be part of your job and is part of your appraisal and you are judged on whether you supported fundraising and supported the organization to bring in the funds that it needs to bring in then actually you're gonna get you know you get what you measure you're going to get a much warmer response and people coming to the organisation and being interviewed and asked where, what are your experiences of working with fundraising, you know, what would you bring to, um, to supporting the organisation to raise the funds it needs, then you understand the role and it's, it's set as an expectation. Um, and you know, we're not talking about a day a week, we're talking about two days a year. Nice. Realistically, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, but responding to those requests and working hand in hand with fundraising to ensure that the organisation can fly. What's really interesting about charities, I think I've reflected on this recently, in the corporate sector, the entirety of an organisation will be ranged around the income. Every single function in the organisation will be directed at helping those who, who bring in the income. And you're, you as fundraisers, you know, would be the, the salespeople, would be the focus of all the support that the organisation has. In charities, that is not the case. Of course it isn't. So everyone's ranged around mission. And fundraising is sales, you know, is just one of the functions that facilitates mission. Mm -hmm. However, mission can't happen without funding. Sure. So it's a it's a slightly more awkward relationship. And there's that sometimes there's that sort of tussle of fundraising saying well, we're essential and mission saying but we're the point. Right. We're the purpose. Yeah. Um, and fundraisers need to be mindful of never um, giving the impression that they think they're certain they're, that they're more important. Well, you can't have one without the other, can you? No, you can't. Are there benefits then to, uh, to not being a government programme? Independence to criticise. 
um, you know, for lobbying organisations, that's essential. Uh, and then you've got agility. And you know, if um, you want to test something as an organisation, you can decide to test it. And you don't have the great big apparatus and sort of you know uh, bureaucracy sure. of governments. Yeah. And then there's the focus that you bring to your cause. Uh, you know, I heard something on the radio today about how money for CAMs for child and adult mental health services is not ring-fenced. And so lots of councils and um, boroughs are not using the money that's supposed to be used for CAMs for CAMs because it's not ring-fenced. In a charity, you have one cause that you're focused on that you direct all your resources towards. Um, and that's going to have a greater impact. It's not, it's not going to be subsumed by some, you know, other activity or some other, you know, priority. The um, constancy and the focus that charities bring to the difference they're trying to make in society is a completely different and necessary feature of, you know, of creating change. How can charities build their, um, their positive fundraising culture by how they talk about budgeting? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really excellent question because I'm sure you've come across this before when you're talking to a, a colleague that they say, well, I've got that in my budget. Sure. And you think, I'm starting from a zero base. I have to get in all the money that we need this year. You don't have that in your budget. You know, that's the budget estimated on what we brought in last year, plus a few percent. And, you know, I, I put those forecasts forward. I said how much I thought we could fundraise this year. Sure. And then you had the opportunity to bid for your budget. Um, but they think that's been approved. I've got it. And it, it may be, I mean, it's, I've worked in organisations where that, that is, I suppose, that, that kind of thing has been said to me as the fundraiser. Yeah. And, and I've said, well, you know, yes, it's in the budget, but the, the, the yeah. trustees in the year, the trustees will say, did you fundraise enough? No, in next year's budget, it's yeah. likely that we'll have to cut it. So yeah. it's maybe not helping me now for the money you need to spend now, yeah. but it's helping me in, in for the future. So that's interesting to sort of, you know, in order to keep it in your budget, we're going to need to raise enough for it this year. But I think people feel, you know, this comes back to that it's not my job. Mm. I have that in my budget. So you're asking me to do a bunch of work that's not my job in order to get money that I, I perceive that I already have. Um, and so how the organisation talks about budgets is really important. So this is an estimated budget. This is... Um, you know, we start from a zero base, we think that we can raise this much money this year. Um, if everyone helps fundraising, we will be we will be able to bring that in. And so part of your role in you know in getting your budget and running your your part of the organization is in helping that budget to be delivered. So it's yours if you work for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, or if you participate in yeah. bringing it in. And, and that risk of if, you, if you're not helping to raise it this year, you might be able to spend it this year, but then at the end of the year, then there might be a, a review on, yeah. on expenditure in projects or something like this. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I don't think that's a threat that it's fair for fundraisers to be levelling. Sure. Um, you know, a fundraiser should not be in a position where they're saying, you know, hey, your job and your you know, paying your mortgage is dependent on you bringing, helping me bring in this money. Yeah. That's, 
you know, that's not that's not the right position to be in. But I think training from the top as well, training trustees, senior management, to be comfortable with asking for money to support fundraising, um, to not to to realise that that it's the job of everyone in the organisation. And do you think that does this uh, is there a responsibility on fundraisers though to be able to obviously I suppose there has to be a kind of a structural approach to as you said you're yeah. building it into every job description that fundraising is something that everybody's expected to be involved in but is there a kind of a responsibility with fundraisers at least on a character level to be the types of people that can encourage rather yeah, than you know, using a stick and inspire yeah. everyone in an organisation every yeah. different department to be involved absolutely. that's a good thing too absolutely you know building relationships um and, um, it's a good analogy, isn't yeah. it, with how they're going to then talk to well, donors? You know, that is what fundraisers should be like. Yeah. That's a personality to inspire people to participate um, and not to overpromise, mm. right? But um, but to um, well, to identify what it is that people might gain from being involved in fundraising, um, and to yeah, inspire them to meet some meet some new people who might get profile for the work that we're doing and to, to to be involved in the wider bit of this the wider you know story of the mission um, and you know offering training to to staff how to talk to people you know some stuff that's really basic I'm sure you've had it where you introduce a donor to a staff member and they talk in acronyms sure um, yeah. And, uh, and you, you, you then become a translator. Yeah. <laughs> so. Or they talk in really non-emotive language. That's sure. a really interesting one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've worked with a lot of social workers, mm -hmm. and they are not going to talk about this poor, unfortunate child whose life has just been one tragedy after another, because sure. they do not patronise the right. people they work with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they won't, you know, look at their story in this kind of... Um, tear-jerking sort of way and so finding a comfortable middle ground where they don't talk about um, you know this client um, was experiencing difficulties in familial relations or you know some yeah. sort of official dim speak well I find a lot of those that, that when it's worked best in my um, kind of matters of fundraiser is when it's been in tandem so I've been for example I've worked with a very good uh, head of research and previous well and uh, we would be talking to a major donor, prospect, and I would be putting across the initial emotional stories and things, yeah. and then they would ask me questions which I had no hope in yeah. hell of answering, right. and then it would be the, the head yeah. of uh, research who would then be able to answer that. Yeah. And some of the people we were talking to would have much more knowledge than I did about the science behind some of the conditions we were talking yeah. about, and the head of research was perfect in that situation. Absolutely. So you're the conduit as a fundraiser, well, aren't you? Absolutely. Or you're, yeah. you're, you're matchmaking people, you're bringing people who want to know more and make a difference sure. together with people who are doing the work that will make the difference. Yeah. And so you're facilitating that. I think sometimes it's great to upfront say as a fundraiser, you know, this is my colleague and they work with young people. Um, they're go they're not going to talk about them in emotional terms sure. because 
their training is to help people to move on, not to focus on the negative things that have happened to them, and sometimes not to even know about that stuff. Yeah. Um, so these responsibilities of, of colleagues outside of fundraising to be aware of fundraising doesn't mean that they're cut loose and expected to go off and do another job. And as you say, it's yeah. a case of really they're just expected to work with the fundraiser, but vice versa as well, yeah. to do the best that they possibly can for the cause. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Alana Jackman, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. There you go, dear listener, Ilana Jackman there. A big thank you to Ilana for volunteering her time to speak to Charity Chat. I hope you found that useful and will no longer struggle with what to say when approached by anyone saying that charities shouldn't exist or asking you the question if they should. We touched on fundraisers as the inspiration in charities, or certainly the inspirers, and that the culture of fundraising should be intrinsic in the work of everyone working for a charity. It's, that's a view that I share. Um, I, for one, will be taking some of the learnings and putting them into practice, especially regarding how to make life easier for my colleagues when it comes to finding info from them to help with fundraising. Ilana touched on a pet hate of mine, long, complicated emails requesting answers to a whole list of questions. I'll try and stop doing that as well. Uh, we'd love to hear your views, so please do get in touch through our website, charitychat.org.uk. It's just left for me to thank Ilana Jackman, you dear listener. Without you, we would cease to be. And our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design. Check it out, charitychat.org.uk. RR Yard Photography for the lovely pro bono images on our website. And Forest of Fools, who've been playing throughout the show, they're playing us out right now. That's it from me. Speak to you next time. Cheerio. Bye bye.